Well, turn, if you will, to Psalm 133, found on page 659 of your Pew Bibles. This is one of the smaller of the Psalms of Ascent, a whopping three verses that we'll be looking at this evening. Psalm 133, this is the second to the last of the Psalms of Ascent. And hear now this portion of God's word. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Well, this is a psalm that for elders and pastors is a very familiar psalm because this is one of the psalms that we typically sing If not at the beginning, certainly at the end of all of our meetings of presbytery and often at our synods. We sing it at the beginning that it might remind us as to how we are to behave and strive as we labor together to the glory of Christ to dwell in unity, to deliberate in a fashion that would bring honor and glory to Christ. And it is sung at the end of those meetings when the Lord has accomplished His purposes and He has been pleased to see us safely through those deliberations that we can again recall and think of how wonderful it is that though we may take up heavy and difficult matters, that our faithful God is pleased to direct the steps of His servants in this way. And as we think back as to this series of the Psalms of Ascent, we remember that at the very outset of these Psalms, back in Psalm 120, the psalmist there describes his great desire to gather with God's people to worship together because he finds himself in a place where the Word of God is despised and where his commands are mocked where the psalmist feels that part of being an alien in the world. And oh, how he yearns to be with like-minded individuals, joining with them in praise of God, in worship of Him. If you recall, as we walked through those psalms, Psalm 120 showed that great yearning to gather in Jerusalem in obedience to God's command three times a year. But then he was confronted by with the hesitancy of the dangers that necessarily could befall him on the road, and he was challenged to trust in God as he would proceed in obedience to God's command at the encouragement of his fellow worshipers to go forth to Jerusalem. And how soon as he came into 
visual of Jerusalem. His heart again was encouraged and they desired, you can almost sense their desire to to break into a trot, to run, to attain the mount, to go into Jerusalem. But then we were confronted with something we didn't anticipate, perhaps. That upon reaching Jerusalem, we find that even in that place, the psalmist finds oppression. He finds that divisions exist, that the word of God is not perfectly upheld. And how that could have weighed as a great weight upon him as he came into that place. And yet, God uses even that to instruct them, just as he this evening will use that to instruct us, because while he found divisions existing there within Jerusalem, you and I know that divisions can arise within the church today. And often they do. And sometimes they stem from the most ridiculous of reasons. And over the course of many years, I've heard of some of those things that have led to divisions in churches. And when we hear of them, we might scratch our heads and wonder how. How could the unity of God's people be shattered by something as small as a camper shell. But yet, there have been churches, even within our own denomination, who have seen great division arise over something as small and insignificant as an adornment for a pickup truck that divided congregations, not just for weeks or months, but even years and decades. Some of you may recall a Latin phrase that we find written upon our money. Many of you, as you look at your dollar bills or your coins, may see written in very small print, E Pluribus Unum. You maybe have wondered, what does that mean? How does that translate? Well, it's translated, one out of many. One out of many. And certainly as you watch the news today, there aren't very many expressions of oneness that we see in our nation, are there? And certainly that wasn't the intent of our founding fathers, that there would be this manner of division. But certainly if division can happen within the confines of the church, we should not be surprised when we see it happening within the world. And so we see here in in Psalm 133, the Lord laying out before us what should be the goal of his people. That unity would arise and would be present and would be a marker of the people of God. Yes, we may have come from very many different backgrounds. 
Our testimonies may be radically different from one another's. And that's one of the things that is one of the most beautiful expressions of the power of the gospel as we see how the gospel, that one message in Christ, has been pleased, has been used of God to bring the church together, to bring his people together from around the world, from different backgrounds, from any number of pasts, and to make them one. How is that unity accomplished? Well, that unity is accomplished when we have given up our own individual desires and yearnings, where we have given up our desire to be an individual, where we have given up being the focus of all that we do say and think, and where God has been pleased in its place to put Christ where we find ourselves now as a church of Jesus Christ assembled from around the world out of our love for Christ and our desire to serve Him. and We see what the church of Christ is to look like. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. This is to be the aspiration of the church of Jesus Christ. This is to be a common goal of brothers and sisters as they come together to worship God. That we would work with one purpose. To be of one mind in the service of Christ. To not content ourselves with division, but rather that we would bear with one another in love, caring for one another, seeking the best for one another, that we might grow together in our service to God, that our dwelling together may be something that would be honoring to Him. This is a blessed unity. And yet we know throughout the history of God's church that divisions have arisen and do arise. We can go back to the very beginning of God's creation and we see the divisions arise even before our first parents, Adam and Eve, were confronted with their sin in the garden. Adam is quick to lay the blame upon his wife. It's the fault of the woman you gave to me that I have done this thing. Or we see it as the product of the jealousy of their children when Cain lashes out against that one whose gift had been pleasing to God. Rather than seeing this as an opportunity to grow in his understanding, He sought to remove his competition. We saw it within the division that existed between Jacob and Esau. 
Or perhaps you want to look into the New Testament and see how division finds expression even in the New Testament church, where even those whom we look at today as pillars of the faith, Paul and Barnabas, had a very different perspective as it related to John Mark, didn't they? They had to part ways for a season because they could not come to a, an agreement. Struggling and division happens within the church, but yet we should not be content with it. We should not just expect that to be the case, but rather we have an obligation to the one who has called us out of the world to labor to see this unity arise. I mentioned that this is a psalm that we often will sing before we begin our duties as courts of the church because we often need to be reminded of our sinful tendencies to put our own aims before the needs and those aims of our brothers. We are all susceptible to those things, and yet this psalm serves as a powerful reminder to us of what should be our attitude. Now, as we travel further down in this, we see that he uses these descriptions of what this unity is like. It is like precious oil, or it is like the dew of Hermon. And there is something else here that we can take away from this chapter. These things are things that are described as coming down or, or moving downward. It's another important thing for us to recognize that the unity that we enjoy as a church is a blessing of God. It comes and emanates from Him as He is pleased to lavish this upon His people. And so it is here described as that precious oil that was poured upon the head of Aaron that ran down from his head upon his beard and upon the collars of his robes. This was that oil of anointing, that special oil that wasn't to be used anywhere else but for the anointing of the priests. And we have even from this a reminder of that which is our duty within the church of Jesus Christ today, where because of the accomplished work of Jesus Christ, now each one of us who call upon the name of Jesus Christ have been made priests of God, have been anointed through Christ, that blessing being poured out upon us that we might be in the service of our King. And so we see that here described within verse 2. Like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. The spread of that oil is a glimpse, a reminder to you and I of how this unity of the body can have far-reaching implications in the service of our King. One of the things that tends to capture the eye of the world around us 
is the fact that the church of Jesus Christ, as it lives in obedience to Christ, and as he is pleased to bring about unity in the body, exhibits a peace and a joy and a hope that is foreign to the world. And perhaps you've seen this in the workplace. When you go about your daily task in the service of Christ, you labor, not merely to impress your bosses, but really to glorify your king. And your co-workers look at you as if you had a third eye. Look at you as if you're odd. How in the world can he continue to carry out this work? Why isn't he cutting corners? Why doesn't he backbite the boss as we do around the water cooler? And they begin to wonder, why are you so different? What is it that sustains you? Why isn't your life as chaotic as mine? Why is it that it appears that everything you lay your hand to seems to work out well, or at least you're not consumed with worry? And it yields for God's people an opportunity to speak of that one in whom we find our comfort That one who even in the midst of this pandemic keeps us from despair. That one who causes us to yearn for that life that is everlasting rather than cling fruitlessly to this very short life that we'll live upon this earth. It's a scary thing to be in a pandemic. It's a scary thing to not know where we may come into contact with this minute little virus. But yet we do not despair. Because for those whose hope is in Jesus Christ, this life isn't ultimately what we care about. We cling to this life At most, for the opportunity that it affords us to continue in the service of our King. Each and every day that we are given is an opportunity that we can live out our thankfulness for what He has accomplished in service to Him. But we yearn for something far greater. We yearn for a life with Him for all eternity. We yearn for that day when we will awaken in His presence and the burden of sin will be removed. And we will see Him as we ought and we will know His will in a way that today is clouded by the remnants of sin that still reside within us. And that old man will be cast off finally. And those desires, those commands of God, we'll be able to perfectly carry out to the delight of our Savior, to the glory of His name.
and we will find absolute joy in it. One of the great things that attracted me to first Geneva RP and then first RP has been the unity of God's people that he has been pleased to to maintain over all these years. And it's been a wonderful privilege over now more than 25 years to be here and to witness the ups and the downs that have befallen a congregation and yet to see God's sustaining hand upon it. You think even over the last six years of this congregation, all of the shifts and changes that have come upon this congregation, which in the life of Christ's church, smaller things have led to the destruction of churches than what have befallen even our own congregation. And yet, despite all of those changes... God has proven himself faithful in upholding his church, in maintaining the unity of this body. And what has that yielded? But we've even seen our neighbors in the community look at us and come and become a part of us. A testimony again of how this unity has far-reaching implications toward the building of the church of Jesus Christ. And then we see another description of the blessings of the Lord. Look at verse 3. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. Here it is described as that which is life-giving. There in the promised land, there upon Mount Zion, this dew of Hermon, which is about 2,600 feet above sea level, is responsible for really making the fields upon those mountains fruitful. That dew is an essential part of bringing in the harvest. And here again, we are reminded that that dew is nothing that is under the control of God's people, but rather this is an expression of the blessing of God raining down upon the hills there and bringing about that great harvest. Here we see again this likening of the unity of brothers dwelling together as epitomized by this dew, which brings about life. And so it is our prayer that God would be pleased to maintain the unity of his church. This is something that we as brothers and sisters in Christ need to give ourselves to praying for this unity, praying that God would be pleased to continue to rain down this blessing upon us, to keep our hearts knit together, firmly founded upon, and our gazes focused upon Christ, that our enemy will not be allowed to bring and plant seeds among us that would divide us, 
that would bring discord and disharmony, but rather that here would be a place that God would command His blessing, that His church would continue in faithful service to Him. We're coming up on a pretty major milestone in the life of our church. I think, what is it, 150 years coming up here in 2024. A hundred and nearly 50 years that God has been pleased to pour out His blessing upon His people to bless the ministries of this little congregation to the glory of His name where he has been pleased to raise up pastors, where he has been pleased to raise up teachers, where he has been pleased to raise up missionaries who have gone forth throughout the world in service to him. And where it is our prayer that he will be pleased to allow this congregation to see that 150th and go far beyond it if he would tarry in faithful service to him. Well, there are a few other passages which speak to this kind of dwelling together. I'd like to read a few of these for you this evening. First, look, if you will, at Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, verses 24 to 28, speak of this drawing together of God's people. Here we read, I will take you from the nations, and I will gather you from all the countries, and I will bring you into your own land, and I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. And then we see this in the New Testament church. In Acts 2, verses 42 to 47, where this unity of the believers is demonstrated, where we read, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who, were, all who believed were together. And had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Or turn, if you will, to Ephesians 4, where again we have the unity of the body described. 
I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also had descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Or lastly, 1 Peter chapter 3. Verses 8 to 22. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you? If you are zealous for what is good, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. 
For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered, once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey When God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Brothers and sisters, these passages attest to what is to be the demonstrated fruit of God's work amongst his people. The unity of brothers dwelling together in the service of our King, our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And perhaps this can be our New Year's resolution that God will be pleased in the coming year to take the unity that he has been pleased to give to us and to see it expanded even further, to use it to the glory of his name as he would use it as a beacon upon this hill in our communities to draw men, women, and children to himself where they may hear the glorious gospel of Christ and where they may be added to the number of those being saved by his accomplished work to the encouragement of us and to the encouragement of the church at large to the glory of his name. Amen. Let's look to him in prayer. Almighty God, we give you thanks For the way that you have been pleased to knit the hearts of your people together through Christ. We thank you, Lord, even in the midst of this year. Where we have seen much division in the world. Where we have seen panic and despair. Where we have seen fear and isolation that you, Lord, have been pleased to maintain your church, where you have been pleased to keep your people bound together. And we thank you, Lord, for this great blessing that you allow us even this day, this night, that we may gather together to worship you as you command. Lord, we pray that you would continue to maintain that unity of your people. Lord, that we would not grow lax, nor, Lord, that we would not continue to be in awe of what you have built, but rather, Lord, that we would reflect upon your work 
and that our hearts would be filled to overflowing with thanksgiving for what you have been pleased to do. Lord, we thank you that you have not left us without instruction as to how this unity comes about and how it is that we are to act toward one another. Lord, may you be pleased to continue that work which you have begun within us, that our love for you and our love for one another would continue to grow. And Lord, that you would be pleased to draw others to yourself through the witness of your people. Lord, may we speak freely, openly, unapologetically about Christ. May we share him with all those whom we think may yet know him, may yet need to come to know him. When we see the evidences of sin and hurt, Lord, may we bring that most precious of treasures and lay it before them. In acknowledgement, Lord, that we cannot persuade. But rather, Lord, out of a desire that we may see the might of your arm. Trusting that you would go before us to prepare hearts and minds. Enabling them when that offer of the gospel is laid before them. When they hear it for the first time. That they may comprehend it. And that by your work they may be able to lay hold of it. That your church would grow. That new communities would be reached. That we would see communities transformed. Our leadership transformed. Our nations transformed. Out of a desire to be obedient to Christ. A result of seeking after your commands and seeking to carry them out out of a desire for the good of our neighbors. Lord, we ask that you would be pleased to do these things and use us for your purposes. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.